so believe it or not, I, I actually get accused every now and then. One of the rumours that are flying around about me at the moment, because I get a lot of rumours about me, and some of them are true, to be fair. And, uh, but, but this one rumour I'm getting at the moment is that I don't teach the Bible. Um, <laughs> is that I, do, I just do preaching and I don't do any teaching. Um, well, I'd just like to, you know when the Apostle Paul, he's, he's kind of like, well, you're, you know, you're no good, you're no this. And so he, he says, I sound like a madman. And he starts rambling off all these things that, that he does to prove his credentials. So I just want to say, for those that may be a bit concerned, um, I just want to say a few things. So firstly, I've done over 450 podcasts. This is not to build, big me up. It's just to prove the fact that this rumor clearly isn't true. Okay, I've done over 450 podcasts. I've just finished a complete series, 82 episodes on the book of Revelation from the beginning to the end. Uh, I also run a weekly Bible class on the book of Revelation. I've done one also on the book of Isaiah. Uh, I run a weekly class on the practice of prayer. I run periodic seminars on various theological subjects. I have written seven books and I'm writing a new one at the moment, which is a complete commentary on the book of Revelation. Uh, I also about to start a new podcast series called Coffee and Theology. So you can get theologically up to, up to gear. You know, so if anyone says, man, I just don't know any theology, Chris, well, after listening to that, you'll have no excuse. Um, and uh, so they're nice short ones as well. They're not long things. Uh, our YouTube channels had 230,000 views. Our podcast station, which is only going for a little while, has had 20, 27 and a half thousand views. Uh, and most of my sermons do actually contain a lot of theology. But I just don't badge it up and say, hey, this means this, and this is, this is sanctification, this is justification. I don't always badge it up like that. Um, I have 30 years of experience with the Bible. I've been to Bible college. I've studied charismatic theology, Protestant theology, spent a long time studying Catholic theology, Orthodox theology, church fathers, Hebrew roots theology. Um, I can't read really it very well now, but when I was at Bible college, I could read Greek, I could read Hebrew. I spend three hours every day or five days a week in prayer, study, and meditation to make sure you get the best of the best, as I can give it. Um, we also, as a church, we get weekly emails and letters and financial gifts to this church because of the teaching. Um, I'm also asked every now and then to give leader seminars and various lectures, etc. So if, if anyone says that I don't do any kind of Bible teaching and it's just all preaching, please rest assured, sleep well at night, that that, that, that just isn't true. And as I said, and even if you're still not happy with that, then please listen to the new podcast series called Coffee and Theology, and you'll have as much theology and catechisms and all that kind of stuff as you could ever possibly want for. Amen? Amen. So, I mean, there's lots of rumors about me. That one isn't true. Not sure about the others. Okay, so if we now... If we now move across to Colossians, now we've been in this uh, chapter for, for a few weeks now and just kind of working, well, I'm not working through all of it, I'm just working through really the first four verses here, which I will conclude today. And so we're going to look at verse three. Now, the thing about the Apostle Paul is you've got to be careful with what he says because he, he is, I find that every verse is like a coiled up spring that, you know, if you just let it go, it goes, boom, it just extrapolates out and all of his teachings. So the thing is, the Apostle Paul, you, you've really got to know Paul. You've really got to know his, your stuff with Paul because he will just come out with these one-liners and he just assumes you know what he's talking about. But he may have unpacked it in another letter. So a lot of what he says here, he's actually taken the time to unpack in his gospel in Romans. 
So if you're aware of the letter of Romans, you'll be aware of what Paul's going on about here. So I'm actually going to take a bit of time to teach today a little bit, as well as some preaching, to actually look at some of the Pauline theology, if you want all those big words, that's going on in this particular section of scripture, because there's some good points here. So uh, it says, for you have died. Hallelujah. Because this is really what Easter is about as well, is that you and I have died with Christ. Amen. Well, let's have a quick look at that. Let's get some scriptures going here. So let's turn to Galatians. And uh, chapter 2. And verses 19 to the end of the chapter. And it says this. It says, as for me, the very Torah, the law, that's the Jewish law, brought me to die to the Torah that I may live for God. I am crucified with Christ. Do I live? It's no longer me. Christ lives in me. My life in this body is life through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. In this way, I don't ignore the gift of God. For if justification comes through the practice of the Torah, Christ would have died for nothing. Amen. So, but we still, so we know that when we believe in Jesus, we are crucified with Christ. But that's not strictly technically true because the, to be fully crucified with Christ, it comes from another one of Paul's teachings, which comes from Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 7 and 8 are really important. And we're going to look at verse first. To start with, verses three to five. And so this is showing you the importance of baptism. Um, and I really make a big deal out of baptism. The early church had made a big deal out of baptism. And the church has consistently made a big deal out of baptism. But I feel probably in the last hundred years or so, a lot of churches don't give it the emphasis that it once had, but it needs to have. And Paul says here, look, don't you know that in baptism which unites us to Christ, we are all baptised and plunged into his death. So if you want to die with Christ, okay, what do you have to do? Be baptised. I know I'm treading on some, some toes here, but this is a quintessential Pauline doctrine. If you have a problem with it, don't come speak to me after and say, oh, well, I disagree with you. Go and speak to Paul, because this is what he wrote. All right? This is not interpretation. This is not my opinion. This is the word of God. Okay? This is the scriptures. So don't you know that in baptism, which unites us to Christ, we are all baptized and plunged into his death? By this baptism in his death... We were buried with Christ. So when you go down into those waters, you know, um, it reminds me of a joke, actually. It was a, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Yoda memes, probably looking around, probably not. But basically, it's a little Star Wars character, and he does like these various jokes. And as one of them, he says, uh, I like biscuits because they remind me of my friends. I hold them down until the bubbles stop. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you baptize people, yeah, you hold them down there for a good little bit of a while. And so that's the baptism into his death. We're buried with Christ. And then as Christ was raised from among the dead by the glory of the Father, we begin walking in a new life. So when we come out of those waters of baptism, that's when we become a new creation in Christ Jesus with this wonderful new thing. Obviously, this is why it's important that you get saved and you get baptized pretty much immediately because they should all be wrapped up in one package. 
as they did back in the early days. Although, to be fair, again, in the, by, the, by the time we got to the third century church, I mean, you had to learn like a year. Of, you had to became what they call a catechumen, which was a disciple that had to learn all the teachings of the church before you even got to be baptised. So that when you got to be baptised, you fully knew what you were doing. You were fully immersed in the faith, fully knew your doctrine. And that's one of the things that we don't do anymore, do we? Don't do. Has anyone ever done like a catechism when you were a kid where you had to memorise? Yeah. So you? Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, a couple here. So, did it help you? No, it didn't help him. What about you? You remember some of it. That's good. Okay, right. We'll get off that point then quickly. Okay, so, uh, and in verse 5 it says, We have been joined to him by dying a death like his. So we shall be by a resurrection like his. And so this brings us to, I'm not, you don't have to go there, Hebrews 6 verses 1 to 2 talks about the basic doctrines of Christianity. And it, it talks about, you know, let us not lay again uh, um, uh, the foundations of repentance from dead works, of faith, of the doctrine of laying on of hands, of the doctrine of baptisms, and the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So eternal judgment and the resurrection of the dead, again, are not two theologies or two things that are really taught much in the church. Because actually, your hope what we generally think is going to happen to us is that when we die we go to heaven and we live on a cloud and with our little harp and our little wings flapping and that's where it's going to be forever but that's not what the bible teaches as we shall get into a little bit later in fact that's completely not what the bible teaches obviously when we die we go to be with the lord but jesus is coming back and when he comes back, you're going to be raised from your physical body is going to be raised from the dead. It's going to be immortal. It's not going to have any sin. It's going to be just like Jesus. And then your spirit and your body will come together when you meet with when we come together in the clouds, when we return with Jesus uh, with glory and all that kind of stuff. And we'll come to that scripture later. So that is our hope. That is that is why Paul says, you know, I press on for a better to obtain a better resurrection. Anyone here pressing on for a better resurrection? That means you have to do some stuff for Christ, okay? It's like, yes, because we are prepared. There's, there's works in the Bible, there's bad works, which is works where you do, as John said earlier, to justify yourself before God. They're dead works, they're bad works. You don't want to mess with those. But then there's also good works. Those works which have been created before the foundation of the earth and ordained that you should walk in them. And then you get rewarded for that. There's rewards, yeah? And that's how we obtain better resurrections. So if we've been joined to him by dying a death like his, so shall we be by a resurrection like his. But, but what does this death do for us? Okay, this is really important. This is really, really important. This is really, 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 really important. This then leads us into Paul's next chapter. Obviously, they didn't have chapter breakings in the Greek, um, but it takes us into his next theme now, which is what we would call chapter seven. Now listen to this. This is from verse 1 onwards. It says, you, my friends, understand the Torah. The Torah has power only over a person while they are alive. Okay? And he gives an example. There's a married woman. But she can't marry again because she's still married to her husband, right? But if the husband dies, she is free to marry again. Because if she marries again while the husband is still alive, she's an adulteress. Oh, yeah, we all know this. In verse 4, it says, It was the same with you, brothers and sisters. 
You have died to the Torah with the person of Christ and you belong to another. To another what? To another covenant. And to another who has risen from among the dead so that we may produce fruit for God. And so basically Paul is, the whole whole context of chapter 7 is, you can't come under another covenant whilst that, while something else is still alive, because it would be adultery. But the, and the Torah only has power over you as long as you are alive. So if you are dead in Christ Jesus, the Torah has no power to condemn you anymore. Hence Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which is what Paul's going on about, because that's the context of the flow of the narrative. Hallelujah. Goes on to say in verse 6, but we have died to what was holding us. That's the Torah. We are free fr- freed from the Torah and no longer serve a written Torah, which was the old. With the spirit, we are in the new. Now, some people may still take umbrage with that and exception to that. So let's put this one to bed. So we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. People are complaining at me now. When are you going to give us some preaching? There's too much teaching in this church. And so we go down to 2 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to look from verses 6 to 11. He has enabled us to be ministers of a new covenant, no longer depending on a written text, but on the Spirit. The written text kills, but the Spirit gives life. The ministry of the Torah carved on stones brought death. Now, I need to make this very clear. Paul also says in Romans, the law is good and it is spiritual. The law is not a bad thing. What is bad is us. We took the commandment which says thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit adultery. And our sinful nature took that commandment and decided that to rebel against the commandment and say, I will commit adultery and I will do those things you've told me not to but I'm going to do it anyway and therefore the law had to condemn us that's why it's known as a law of death so it says here in verse 7 the ministry of the Torah carved on stones brought death in other words it's the Torah of death it was nevertheless surrounded by glory because it is God's Torah And we know that the Israelites could not fix their eyes on the face of Moses. Such was his radiance, though fleeting. How much more glorious will be the ministry of the Spirit? If there is greatness in a ministry which used to condemn, how much more will there be in the ministry that brings holiness? This is such a glorious thing that in comparison, the former's glory is like nothing. That ministry was provisory and only had moments of glory, but ours endures with a lasting glory. Or some translations, we are going from one degree of glory to another. Woo! Hallelujah! So that's the first part of the verse in Colossians. You have died. You understand now what it is you've died to? Yeah? And that there's therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But this is, this is amazing. See, we could go off into a healing crusade now because that means, therefore, the curse of the law has no power over you anymore. And, and does anyone know what the curse of the law is? It's Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through to 68. And you read that, man, that's scary stuff. It covers everything. Cancer, um, mental illness, uh, physical illness, plagues, pestilence, war, anything that you could think that's just bad, it's in the curse of law. And it also goes on to say, and all the things that are not written in here. Okay, so there's more besides. 
Oh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. And I go to Galatians chapter 3 now. Verses 13 to 14. Galatians 3 verses 13 to 14. And it says, Now Christ rescued us from the curse of the law, the curse of the Torah, by becoming cursed himself for our sake. As it is written, there is a curse on everyone who is hung on a tree. So that the blessing granted to Abraham reached the pagan nations in and with Christ and we received the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So that means you have the blessing of Abraham. If anyone doesn't know what that is about, I wrote a book on it called The Blessing of Abraham. It's £5 Amazon. Okay, so the blessing of Abraham and all that that means is as much for the Jew as it is for you, the Gentile, through Christ. And that means the blessing of the law can come upon you. That means God's um, prosperity. And when I say prosperity, I mean the fullness of, of his prosperity. I'm talking about his shalom in your life, his peace, his glorious peace, so much so that you, you want for nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hallelujah. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anoint my head with oil hallelujah oh surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life amen that's some of the goodness of God that comes upon us through Christ Jesus hallelujah and then the blessed promise of the Holy Spirit what do we do with this Holy Spirit well, on church on Sunday, I speak in tongues for a few minutes and I raise my hands in worship. Come on, church. You've got the living God inside you. You know what the Holy Spirit is saying? Can you hear him? Let me out! Hallelujah! Let me out! He's like, let me out, guys. Let me out. Nope, nope. I'm just going to be English about this. Let, nope, I'm not going to do it. All right? Just let Jesus out. Hallelujah. The other day, we were around, uh, there's a lady that uh, a few of uh, me and Claire Jones have been doing some ministry with. And she was, uh, whew, she was in hospital because she's got a series of very complicated illnesses. And while she was in hospital, she had uh, a neurological fit, which made her hand paralyzed like this. It, cl it clenched up into a claw and she couldn't move it. The only way she could move it is if she moved her hand up like that and then it would come loose again. But as soon as she brought it down to here, it would curl up into a claw. And uh, so the other day, me and Claire went round there to pray for her. But I knew, I don't know why, but I knew that day God was going to heal her. Even though in Britain, and I, I mean this most sincerely, I have not actually seen really a physical healing miracle of, that, of this kind before. I've never seen one. I've seen it in Africa, I've seen it in other parts of the world, but not in Britain. All right? And so we went round there. And we read over her about probably about 30 to 60 healing scriptures. And one of the scriptures that spoke to her was the scripture where Jesus says to the guy with the paralyzed hand, stretch out your hand. And then it said he healed it and made it and it was well like the other. And so it comes to the time of prayer and we're just praying for her. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, anoint her hand with oil. So he anointed it with oil. And the Holy Spirit just said to me really clearly, Chris, do you believe? And I was like... Everything within me, I was like, ah, yes, 
I believe, I believe, even though I've never in my life seen a miracle like this in Great Britain. I believe, I believe, I believe. And as we prayed for her, I stretched out her fingers and just then raised my hand away. And then I knew she'd been healed, but she didn't know yet. And then she was just like resting in the spirit of God. This happened, uh, I think it was on Thursday. And then she, uh, when she came to, she looked down at her hand and just did that. And God instantly healed it. I was like, woo, praise you, Jesus, hallelujah. I've actually seen a New Testament miracle in Britain. Woo-hoo! Hallelujah. You're probably thinking, well, you've been raised from the dead, Chris. Yeah, but I was on the receiving end of it. I've never, I, I didn't even know what was going on. But to actually see a miracle like that and just see God's power, the Holy Spirit minister to a sick person and set that person free. Hallelujah. Now, if that doesn't excite you, your wood's wet. Hallelujah, right? So, something wrong with you. Hallelujah. Jesus wants to get out through you, brothers and sisters. You know when he used to go around to your friend's house and say, can so-and-so come out to play? I think that's what God is like saying to us. It's all right if the Holy Spirit comes out to play. Let him out. Believe. Dare to believe. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, Jesus went back to heaven and he's now hidden in God the Father. And although he's revealed by his Holy Spirit and he's revealed through his church, he won't be revealed in person until he comes back on all his glory. Hallelujah. And it says, when Christ, who is your life reveals himself, verse 4, you will also be revealed with him in glory. In the book of Daniel, it says that in the resurrection, the saints will shine like stars. So whose glory are we shining with? His glory, because we shall be just like him. As he is, so are we in this earth, right? So let's have a look at this. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians And chapter, f- chapter 4. See, there's a lot of weird ideas out there. You know, one of the, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude to people, um, but one of the ideas is that, that there'll be some kind of secret rapture where the church get taken away. But the Bible doesn't really teach this. And the famous passage where it talks about the rapture The rapture is really the afterthought, not the big event. Let's have a look at this. Brothers and sisters, from verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4. We want you not to be mistaken about those who are already asleep, lest you grieve as those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose, and it will be the same for those who have died in Jesus. God will bring them together with Jesus and for his sake. Now listen to that again. We believe that Jesus died and rose, and it will be the same for those who have died in Jesus. God will bring them together with Jesus. So when you die, where are you going to be? With Jesus, okay? Because people get a bit funny about it. Oh, I don't understand. Right, so we're with Jesus. Hallelujah. Verse 15. By the same word of the Lord, we assert this. Those of us who are alive at the Lord's coming, okay, will not, I repeat, will not, and I say it again, will not go ahead of those who are already asleep. 
or have already died. So in all those American movies where the rapture comes and all these Christians just disappear and their clothes are left in a pile on the, on the floor. I mean, how embarrassing. Right? And all their clothes are just left on the, on the floor. It's like, that's not, that's not the big event. Okay, this is not what the Bible is teaching here. The big event's the resurrection of the dead. Let's read on. It says, when the, verse 16, when the command by the archangel's voice is given, this is talking about the final trumpet blast, the Lord himself will come down from heaven while the divine trumpet call is sounding. Then... Those who have died in the Lord will rise. What does it say? First. They will rise first. Let me say again. They will rise first. Not, not, the, not the secret rapture saints. The, the people in the grave will be the ones to rise first. Because the last shall be first and the first shall be last. You know, this is what Jesus taught. All right. So then they will rise up first. As for us who are still alive. Okay, the ones that are walking around on the earth. We will be brought along with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. Okay? So when Jesus returns, for those that are alive, we don't get taken up in some secret rapture before the resurrection of the dead. We don't get taken up actually until after the dead have been raised or pretty much at the same time. But they go up first and then those that are left alive, they're like, whoopee, it's me next, beam me up. In an inkling of an eye, there we are, in our new resurrection bodies. I'm going to have a cape on mine. You might have whatever you want. I'm going to have a cape. All right? And I'll walk around with a nice big cape, probably a big red one as well. Okay, hallelujah. You've got to think big, guys. I mean, what are, you, what are you thinking when you're resurrection? You're like, I'm going to have muscles. I don't know about a suit, but I'm going to definitely going to have a cape. Um, you know, I'm going to look good. You, you could all be humble about it, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, that's what I'm going to like. So when Christ, who is your life, reveals himself, you will also be revealed with him in glory. And to wrap all this up and to sum all this up, this basically is what Jesus came to do. You see, this is what Easter's about. You see, it says your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I want to end with this last point, which is from John chapter 17. It amazes me what Christians do believe and it amazes me what they refuse to believe. It amazes me that they'll believe all kind of nonsense, all kind of heresy, all kind of error, but they won't believe sometimes what the actual scriptures say you should believe. And so if we're hidden with Christ in God, as Colossians 3 says, then turn to John 17, 21 to 22. So this is the prayer for the church. This is Jesus praying this. This is on the night uh, of the Passover, just before he's about to be betrayed. He says, may they all, the church, be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Now listen, right? Jesus has said, the Father is in Christ and he is in the Father. That's, that's the preceding context of what he's now about to say. May they, the church, be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh yes, brother Chris, I believe that the church is one in Christ. Okay, now let's just take the, the church, let's now just, because each of you here are individual members of the body of Christ, okay? Okay, so now let's individualize this. May um, Steve be one in the Godhead. May you two 
be one in the Godhead. May you two be one in the Godhead. May us all in this room individually be one with the Godhead. Is that not what it says? But we get all nervous and funny about it. Yet this is what the church has always taught for thousands of years. May they be one in us. In other words, partakers in the blessed Trinity. Now you are not the Trinity, don't get me wrong. But God has allowed it that we can become one with him. This is Paul, what he talks about, when he's going on about a man and a woman, he's like, but of course I'm not talking about man and husband and wife, I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and his church. When at the end of the age, the consummation, you see, marriage is a shadow and type of the reality to come, which is Christ and his church. So sex, in context of marriage, is the blissful joy that we will have when we finally join and become one with our saviour. And that's why in the next stage there is no marriage, because the shadow and the type is in Christ, so we are the shadow and the type. The Christ is reality when the church and Christ become one, and then there's no more need for marriage because the type is done away with, because now the reality is here that Christ is one with his church. Is there enough theology here for you? There is nothing that I'm saying today that is weird, dodgy, wacky or out there. This is orthodox Christianity that has been taught within Christendom for thousands of years. But this particular verse, people get really nervous about. Oh, Chris, you're going too far now. But does it not say, may they be one in us? The preceding context is, may they all be one as Father, as, as you are in me and I am in you. Therefore, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I am in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in me. The church is in the Father. The church is in the Son. The church is in the Holy Spirit. The, Holy, the Father is in the church. The Son is in the church. And the Holy Spirit is one with the church. And when we begin to realise and fathom the depths that I am one with God, then he is one with me. Well, that kind of turns that dial up of your Christian experience and your Christian understanding. And this is what Paul is going on about. You are, you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Peter is about being in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That, brothers and sisters, is the wondrous mystery that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever should believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.